you know, sometimes it's the beer test thing. You know, is this someone you'll have a beer with? You know, do you, do you enjoy having a beer with this person? That that well, says a lot. A, that's going to be a bad test for me. <laughs> I guess I'll, we should I'll, be partners. I, we, we should. I mean, but honestly, I'll drink with anybody. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll drink with them. But, you know, we, would you do it again and again and again? Welcome to the Small Business Safari, where I help guide you to avoid those traps, pitfalls, and dangers that lurk when navigating the wild world of small business ownership. I'll share those gold nuggets of information and invite guests to help accelerate your ascent to that mountaintop of success. It's a jungle out there, and I want to help you traverse through the levels of owning your own business that can get you bogged down and distract you from hitting your own personal and professional goals. So strap in, Adventure Team, and let's take a ride through the safari and get you to the mountaintop. Here we go, everybody. Welcome to the Small Business Safari. Alan, cheers. Cheers. Good it's to see been you. a while. It's been a while seeing you. We're excited to have you back. And I'm excited about this guest because uh, Dwayne is somebody I get a chance to meet. Dwayne Johns, uh, Builder Nuggets podcast and other famous endeavors that he's worked on. I got a chance to meet him in person at the Nary National event and get to hear his story and what he's done and how he's helping other builders and remodelers kind of grow in their business and also look towards the end of what it looks like to be success and get to the end of the mountaintop. As were, it were. were you in a, a, a paid for line for uh, autographs from Dwayne? So uh, I, Dwayne did not come up looking for my book or looking for me to <laughs> sign his book or my book. No, he wasn't really too and through with that. Actually, he wasn't even remotely excited about that. Huh. No, I'm kidding. It's good. Dwayne, welcome to the Small Business Safari. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. Doing well, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me on. Dwayne, I can't introduce you better than you probably can introduce yourself. Uh, why don't you just tell us all a little bit about where you came from and where you are today, and then we'll start kicking around some questions. Yeah, I think it, you know, it goes back to you, you did say it was the Nary event down in Savannah. I mean, you, Savannah is just what a fun town. You know, we we try to get a chance to go there whenever we can. I have some friends down that way, but I am a builder, remodeler. I've been doing it all my life. Um, what am I now? 53, I guess. Uh, but I guess to, to, to some degree, you know, a typical story, I was the guy that was summer jobs, you know, stacking lumber on the job site and, um, you know, then, Hey, I, I stacked the lumber real well. So now maybe you can have some tools and try this, you know, and started, started learning, uh, some of the other skills, honing my skills to become better at, uh, you know, carpentry and painting and cabinetry and, um, I think one of the things I, I noticed early, I had some good early mentors work for some really good custom builders. And, you know, I kept my eyes open to what all the others were doing. You know, like I always was really intrigued and found it interesting to see what the what's the plaster guy doing? You know, what is the electrician doing? What are what are all these other folks doing? You know, because I think we've to some degree gotten to a world of specialists that nowadays, you know, to where there's not that many people, I think, left in the industry that have a really just that well-rounded knowledge of all the different uh, facets of building, remodeling, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Well, the fact that you said plaster kind of ages all of us uh, because <laughs> there, there, there's no such thing as plasters anymore. As I've been trying to find one in Atlanta, I'm like, now nah, we're just going to rip it off, go drywall. So you're right, though, but that's an art. When you first, uh, I, so you did not go into college. You stayed in the trades and worked your way up. And your, your kind of your journey of an apprentice, if you will, through that, when you were thinking about moving up, did you... You said you went from the wood. Did you go framing, then custom trim, then? Uh, did you? Did is that the path you were thinking? It was a little bit of all of it. I, I wouldn't say I really had a, a plan laid out. You know, it just it went from summer job to summer job, and then as I said, I've done painting, I've done roofing, I've done framing, trim work, worked on cabinetry, um, and yeah, I, I had the opportunity to, to to pursue and maybe go off to college, but you know, I was. <laughs> I was born and raised in the Hamptons, so I was fortunate enough to work on some of these gorgeous oceanfront estates. And frankly, at you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, it was a, a pretty good living. So I said, wow, you know what? I like what I'm doing. Um, there's plenty of work. Uh, I'm gonna make this my my career. So I even then wasn't totally sure what it was, but became my own, opened my own business, uh, was a subcontractor for a lot of different builders, uh, kept doing more and more stuff, and then I would say it was around 1995 or so. Um, 
you know, my wife and I said, Hey, we were recently married, hadn't had kids yet. And we were like, you know, we love this area, but we also want to see some other parts of the world. And that's when we moved down to Charlotte, North Carolina, which was just an exploding market when it came to building and new construction. Um, and actually got introduced to my still my current business partner, Roger Ketchum. We kind of joined forces, worked at a company together for about a year or so, said, hey, we've got the skills. I've had a previous business. Let's open our own business. So we we dove right in. Uh, at the time when we started, the focus was primarily on uh, renovations and, and larger renovations. We liked that type of work. We liked the challenge about it. There was a market, a, a niche in the Charlotte area that we um, kind of focused on and you know, for us, the big thing was the experience, you know, because coming into it and you're, you know, when you're younger, you're all fired up and you're going to do everything yourself and um, can't understand why the other guys are screwing it up uh, until you start to screw it up yourself. Uh, but, you know, for us, oh, it right. was it it doesn't have to be that miserable experience that everybody's talking about. You know, so that was what we really tried to focus on was how do we provide just a better experience to our clients? And we also wanted to provide a great experience for, you know, the other folks that we work with and trades and um, vendors just build relationships, you know? So we, we went from wearing all the hats. I mean, we were the guys actually doing the work. And then before long, I found myself, uh, having to spend more time. Well, somebody has got to price these jobs out. Somebody has got to worry about getting the next job, you know? And then that quickly went to, okay, let's take off that hat, put on another hat. Somebody has got to grow the business. Now we need to hire employees and we have to think about what goes into hiring. And now maybe we need software and you know all the things that come when you're growing a business and a business is expanding so uh, it was a good relationship uh, roger and i and i think the fact that I, I i started to gravitate through the years a little bit more towards the business side and he was focused a little bit more on the you know on the construction side and that's really where it went you know we, huh. we survived we got through the downturn in 2008 uh came out the other side with a bit of a focus kind of on a design build type model and continued to grow the business and um I was I was someone that uh, was always I, I, and that's who I am to this day. There's I just constantly challenge everything. There's a better way to do stuff. There's a better way, and I was immersing myself in, um, you know, some of the uh, entrepreneur groups, business groups, some industry groups, and looking for better ways to just run a business, grow a business. Because you know, we were yes, we had a good business, we had a great reputation, but there's a you know there's a point where you wake up and you go, okay, what am I going to do with this thing when I grow up? You know, I mean, is this, am I going to keep doing the same thing over and over again for forever? Or am I going to build something that maybe, I don't know, someday could provide either a path for retirement, something I could pass on to other teammates, you know, something you could sell, who knows, but that I really, that became uh, the thing that I was focused on. And while I was doing that, I got introduced to a uh, company called Alaire Homes which is a franchise network, a franchise network of builders or modelers across North America right now. I think we currently have over, over 100 locations. Um, liked what they they had to offer. A lot of their values and things that they were doing aligned with, with mine. I was a little bit at first going a franchise. How do you franchise this business? That doesn't seem like it makes any sense, you know? But the more I dove into it, the more I realized I was like, wow, this is a group of this is a group of builders and remodelers that are kind of like myself. They think there's just a better way to do this, you know? Um, and in a nutshell, what it is, it's a network of, of builders, remodelers that, that share a lot of the, the common needs, things behind the scenes, you know, the, the accounting, the project management, software, branding, marketing, a lot of that stuff that frankly, as business owners, we just, we know we need, we know the importance of it, but we either don't have the skill set or the patience and time to deal with it. So we, we kind of consolidate that, share a common set of resources for it, and then allows us to focus on uh, the other things that we want, which is generally building, remodeling, and building relationships. So anyway, fast forward from that, joined the Lair back, I think it was in 2016. Um, I also, because I was the first Lair office in North Carolina, um, was offered a uh, a position to what they call a regional partner uh, opportunity. So as a regional partner with a layer, I, I try to, I actually go out and we'll recruit other builders or modelers, talk to folks and see if they have an interest in what we're doing, um, bring them into the fold here in North Carolina. And then in a way act as like a, a business coach, you know, I support them after they're up and running. So for me, it's been a, it's been a really interesting ride here over the last six to eight years. Um, I've found that my passion has moved from, from the building side, um, not so much of building 
homes as it is to building businesses. You know, that's really where my passion is. I see so many builders, remodelers put 20, 30 years in and not have a whole lot at the end. You know, yeah, that again, you know, good business, maybe made a good living, but usually they end up closing the doors. <laughs> they don't have a whole lot to hand over. Um, so that's really where my my focus is now helping business owners uh, get to that point. And in the last couple of years, started a podcast, the Builder Nuggets podcast. And that's really the the main focus of that is how to create a rewarding business. You know, and that obviously that looks different for everybody, what that is, but that's where my passion is. And I think full circle, that's kind of how you and I. Yeah. That's how we met, yeah. F, yeah, we had a few uh, a few drinks at the bar and the conversations just kept going on and on. Yeah, that's how we met, Chris. It is. There's a common theme here. Yeah. And and I got to go back to, uh, I because I love this phrase, we were in Savannah and Savannah, came, uh, somebody came up and said, do you know what they call Savannah compared to Charleston? It's unwashed little sister. Uh, I call it slutty sister, but yes. Oh, okay. We're we're slutty sister. We can say yeah, slutty that's sister. Right. Isn't that funny? I love that. But yes, that's what we did. <laughs> Dwayne, I'm going to uh, go back. You um, you had the entrepreneurial bent early, you could tell, uh, by doing what you did. And then you took your bet on yourself and moved to Charlotte, a place you, I don't know if you, did you have a network there to go to? Or did you no, just pop in and all. say, here we go? Yeah. Had, had, had someone in the family that I knew that lived down here, but really no connections at all. It was all definitely a very fresh start. I did the same thing, Alan. I left uh, Michigan Tech University and got everything in my S10 Blazer, including my dirt bike. It's everything I owned, and I came down and I stayed for two weeks with my aunt's parents, who I had met never, and they welcomed me with open arms. And the caps were amazing. And then I started grad school after that. So I, I obviously did the uh, the engineering thing first. But I love that you did this. the The one thing that I was I was told when I went to leap into the corporate world and or leave the corporate world and leap into entrepreneurship was. Have you thought about going to work for somebody who does this first and see how they do it? And you get to learn on somebody else's nickel. And I went, nah, I'm smarter than that. What I do? Uh, but you did that. You came down and you worked for somebody for a little while. And, and, and you said that you had always had your eyes open looking. Did you find that experience really helped propel you when you started your own business? Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, when I came, as you said, when I came to Charlotte, it was sort of uh, you know, have nail gun, will travel. You know, I mean, it was just the truck full of tools, ladders, everything you could pack in and, and come down here and said, I wasn't worried because I, I knew I had a, a good set of skills. I said, you know what? I'm going to work. I'm not worried about that. Um, it was more around what what do I really want to do? And uh, so that opportunity with that company gave me a chance to, you know, understand the market, see what's going on here, start building those relationships. As I said, I started to connect with uh, vendors, trades, uh, who were the who were the good framers in town and electricians and um and then also you know got to know designers architects uh you know and that's really where it is it's this is a relationship business you know no matter what part of it you're doing it's uh we did a, an episode on our podcast one one of my favorites you know titled uh it's a relationship not a transaction you know and i think that's what happens this business is it's very transactional um but it's the relationship part that that really makes it uh makes it special yeah, it, the uh, the fact that you're able to do that and then get started that that's the part I think a lot of people I I miss I would say again if I went back to it maybe taking that year but of course that year would have been 2008 I would have been scared shitless and probably gone back to corporate America and went oh my god I can't do it I've lost my mind oh my god it's a recession but but getting in just to learn all the nuances and like you said there's those small nuances that help you um, even if you have the best business acumen ever it's who are the good suppliers? Who are the good? Who are the good tradesmen? Who are who? Where's your team going to come from? And can you build a team that's better than somebody else? And if you can do that, then you can go out there and execute. And that's what you guys uh, ended up starting to do then in Charlotte. You also did something that uh, that I, I want. I'm interested in because one thing I knew about myself going into this, uh, I'm not a good partner. Um, I actually had a guy say, <laughs> you, I, you, "You can just go. You can just plop down in my uh, cubicle, and I won't even charge you." And I thought he was up to something. And it, he's a great friend of mine today, one of my best friends, really. But that's how bad I was at not trusting other people in this kind of space. So how did you work your partnership? Did you guys have an agreement clause? Did you have a contract in place? Did you just do handshakes and work your way out? Because you guys have now done this. I mean, you said, what, 95 to we're gone 20 years? Yeah, 25 years we've been working yeah. together. Um, yeah. And to this day in the relationship, like I said, is still it's still a great one. And and. I think it's that 
from the beginning, it really wasn't much more than a handshake. You know, I think we had done a number of projects together for that other company before we started our business. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's the beer test thing. You know, is this someone you'll have a beer with? You know, do you, do you enjoy having a beer with this person? That that well, says a lot. A, that's going to be a bad test for me. <laughs> I guess I'll, we I, should I, be partners. I, we, we should. I mean, but honestly, I'll drink with anybody. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll drink with everybody. But, you know, we, would you do well, it again and again and again? You know, but um, yeah, we just we just kind of hit it off. We connected on different levels. We were always, even on the projects we worked together on, it was always had each other's back, you know, there was no, well, this is your task. This is my task. Just whatever it took to, to do it, we dove in and did it. Um, and, and as I said, I think it was the fact that we were, we were doing some really good work. We were getting, um, people really liked what we were doing from clients and, and some of the designers, architects we were working with. And we knew we were onto something, you know, and, and we couldn't sing, we couldn't dance. So we said, man, we better try to do this really well. So, um, yeah, it, it just evolved from that. And then, you know, I had taken some some business classes and courses through the years. The both of us have always stayed engaged in in some form of continuing education. So it was it was learning from others a, a lot of it. You know, and um, this is a tough industry because there's not there's not a lot of sharing. And back then, there certainly was not a lot of sharing. You no, know, especially when it came 90s. builder to builder, or you know, oh, modeler yeah. to modeler, it was just not no. Um, but I got involved with the the Nary group early on and even um remodelers council, some of the HBAs. And and there were, you'd always find the one-off person that that was willing to share, you know, and that's kind of where I connected and and you'd learn tips from them, you know, like one of the things we learned early on was like, you know, you guys probably should consider something like a buy-sell agreement, you know, and maybe, maybe purchase some life insurance on each other because and and yeah, you know, we didn't even think of that. That wasn't anything that was even on our radar, you know, but it was little things like that that we would pick up along the way. And it was coming from people that had successful businesses, you know. And I think yeah, what that's what a big really part this year. yeah, one thing that really helped Roger and I was that neither one of us carried an ego. And we've I struggle with with the ego, and ego's big in this industry. Um, you know, hey, it's it's our business, it's our baby, we've built it. But I think that's really what's helped us is neither one of us has, has ever carried the big ego and um, know our strengths, but we also know our limitations. Um, I don't know why I don't have a partner, Alan. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, for the love of God, everybody just needs Let's to understand see, that have, I know everything. You'll have a beer with everybody and you've got a massive ego. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah not a very good combination, is it? I, I, yeah. So partnership? No, no probably not. Best best thing we do right now is just be on the podcast together <laughs> <laughs> and making. Well, of course, we're making all this money. Although I am working on a Monday night brewing uh, uh, sponsorship, though. There you go. Yeah. So for beer, Dwayne, I, got, I have a question for you. So I, I've spent a lot of time uh, in my checkered career in franchising from one direction to another. Worked at a franchisor's office. I've owned a franchise. I've been an employee at a franchise. And when you first talked about a builder's franchise, I was like, wow, the questions just started flying through my head because a, a lot of franchises are set up where somebody gets their golden parachute, like Chris from uh, the corporate world, and then they want to buy a business, but they don't want the risks. So they'll buy a business that they really know very little about. And I kind of get, and then and and in, like right now, the one that I'm seeing a lot in commercial real estate is uh, mental health franchises. So yeah. you or I could buy a mental health franchise. We don't know anything about it, but we get you know the two weeks of training, and then you hire professionals who know what they're doing. Talk to me a little bit about what a uh, a building franchise is. You know the kinds of people that they're looking for, and and some of the things. You know, it sounds like you're a business coach within the franchise, so you get some accountability. You get the you know, the shared system. So you don't have to learn all those lessons the hard way, but yeah, if you could just talk a little more about that, I'd love it. Yeah. It's interesting. And in, internally at a layer, we, we kind of call it the accidental franchise. You know, it wasn't really intended to be a franchise from, from the onset because the last thing we want to do is just go planting flags and opening, you know, franchises all over the place just because, because it's to your point, you know, it's, we are not going to be the kind of place where, Oh yeah, just show up, sign the check and we'll put you through two days of training and off you go. You know, this is, it's, sort of opposite of that to where we're we're only going to open a, another location somewhere if if it's the right person someone that's already experienced they're engaged they're in the industry they understand how things work and the model really is more around the concept of consolidation than it is really the franchise itself you know it's it's that thought that 
you know, think about it. Think about all of the other industries. Think about the car industry, the medical industry. I mean, almost every industry you can think of has gone through a pretty substantial form of uh, consolidation. It, it's non-existent in custom construction. There is just no consolidation. You know, everybody's still alone on an island doing their own thing. Um, and that's so that's what we you know, the the premise behind what we have is to say, hey, let's let's everybody might we, we still want to have that, you know, personalization that each each business owner where they're working, whether it's in the homes in Charlotte, there's the homes in Houston, uh, Charleston, wherever it might be. You know, you're going to have those personal relationships. We understand that. You know, we we understand that you are going to have there are certain types of projects that you might do, whether they're kitchens and baths or large luxury custom homes. Um, this franchise does lean towards the, the higher end, um, you know, custom and, and luxury market. But, you know, when it gets when it get when you uncover things and get to the business aspects of it, that stuff really is the same or should be the same. You know, there's fundamental things that you need to have in a business, things that you need to have so that it runs. Um, we we are big proponents of a very risk averse model. You know, um, we believe in things like building projects with clients' money. We are not bankers. We shouldn't be funding projects. You know, <laughs> there's a, a novel concept. Everybody. Yeah, that's a gold and, nugget on everybody, yep. right? Yeah. Funding your customers' projects. Yeah, that's a serious non-starter. I had to lay the law on my guys just two months ago. <laughs> Same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's there's a given set of systems and processes that are proven when it comes to accounting. Um you need to be in strong financial positions. So, so anyway, you know, like I said, there's this set of things that we agree are non-negotiables. No matter what your business, no matter what your industry, you need to have these things. So why don't we just consolidate all that stuff? So one one location kind of handles that, runs it in a world-class way, and then we all just get a piece of it. You know, so as I'm scaling my business, if I need more accounting services, I just scale them up. I don't need to bring people in-house. Same thing for things like uh as I said, training, uh, branding, marketing. So, you know, I, but the the thing that you can't, we call it the intangible, you know, that that we bring to the table is we've also brought over 100 very successful qualified builders and remodelers into this network. So we have a mastermind unlike any other. I mean, you hear of things like Remodelers Advantage or, or Builder 20 groups, right? and they're great. They're phenomenal. But right. imagine, yeah. imagine that in a 365 day a year environment you know we don't meet once a quarter or, or things like that this is all the time i can get on the phone right now and call builders and remodelers all across this network and and the cool thing is we are truly comparing apples to apples i'm not comparing my business model as a cost plus to yours that's a fixed cost and you know things are being done differently where things might be above the line below the line we have the ability to benchmark each other um it's pretty unique uh, and as I said, I was not somebody that was going to be, I wasn't enthralled by the idea of a franchise, but as I dug into it and realized it, I was like, wow, you know, that's, those are those things that for years and years, I've been saying there's a better way. That's some, that's for the majority. That's what we're trying to solve with this is putting together better systems and processes. So, and a lot of what you're describing sounds to me like a, more of a cooperative than a franchise and when I think about franchising, I think about the value of the brand. That's one thing all franchisors will say. You know, if you mm -hmm. open Chris's burgers as great as they might be, it just, you know, it doesn't have the same brand recognition as any other household name. So with the franchise that you're with, you know, if, if you deal with the franchisee in Charlotte and then you get a corporate reload at Houston and you go to the same company are you getting the same experience the same floor plans i mean you know talk to me about the the brand and what the customer experience is like going from market to market yeah you definitely the power of the bigger brand now as i said we want we want every location to still have that that local feel you know we we this is custom construction we realize it we're not trying to um you know make it a cookie cutter type thing we don't want it to be robotic um, so yes, there's the power of the bigger brand and we've seen that. I mean, I've seen that for examples right here in Charlotte. I mean, we've, we've landed jobs where people have said, Hey, you know, we, I, I went down to visit my in-laws in Fort Myers and saw a beautiful custom home going up there, stopped in Charleston to see some friends and saw an, another Allaire home there. And now we're here. You guys are in some really top markets. So, you know, it gives that 
cachet. Like people feel comfortable about that. Um, but at the same time, we also we know through the way we brand and market people on the local level that um, you've got to connect with your communities. You know, so that's what we put a lot of emphasis is and is that um, the marketing you're going to do in your local community is going to be very driven towards that market um, so that there is that 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 local flair. But the thing that comes with the bigger brand, I think that most business owners they underestimate and I don't, and sometimes I don't even know if they they realize it and it was it was big for me too is that when it's ed's remodeling you know or ed's building company um it's difficult there's times where you 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 will get to a point where you don't want it to be that anymore you know because there's so much connection to it and and people i think even whether it's employees or teams they probably have that inherent feeling that well you know if i'm not Ed's brother or cousin. I mean, where am I going to go with this? You know, this is always going to be Ed's thing. And that's unleashed me as a business owner because I've been able to create opportunities for my team um, to where they now, they now they're part of something bigger. Mm. You know, it's something that we promote within the Allaire network is we have project managers at a pr pretty regular um, clip that will come in, perform really well, get their head around what we're doing and say, hey, I, I would really like to go out and open my own. Uh, you know, location and, huh. and what better thing as a partner, as a business owner to say, Hey, you know what, instead of looking at it as some kind of threat, you could say, wait a minute, here's an opportunity for me to maybe expand into another market with a guy that I know really well, I could, you know, support him in say a, an office at the coast. Um, I know the systems are proven. So all I've got to do is really help get this guy set up. He can dive in, run the systems like he did before and flourish. And now you've you've just scaled your business in a really safe way um, and provided huge opportunities for all sorts of people around you. So there's there's benefits to a bigger brand that I think a lot of folks don't they don't really get until you get underneath and start to think about all those those other things. So a couple of things I want to come back to. Uh, one, the typical person who would uh, wants to buy into the Allaire Homes, the avatar, is it 50 plus <clears throat> custom builder, custom remodeler? has his name, very proud of his name. There was a Charlotte company when I lived there too, because I lived in Charlotte the same time you did. So this uh, is a question and a story? Yes. Okay. Uh, what was the big, there was a big Italian builder name. I mean, the, the name was all over Lake Norman. Um, do you remember that uh, name? I think I know who you're talking about. I can't. Yeah, yeah I can't. It, it doesn't matter who it is, but don't, didn't you find that there's an ego where those guys are like, I don't want to give up what I built. Oh, I Absolutely. Have. But and so now I'm going to call it a lair homes. I don't even know what the hell a lair Absolutely. is. I mean, it's that's the biggest struggle for most people when they think about this. Is that what do you mean? You know, what do you mean? I got to give up my name, or or I've got to call myself something different. You know, and um, that's for us when we're recruiting people, uh, talking to people. It's it has to be a a really good fit, and they've got to understand what it is that we're what we're doing. Um, they've got to see the bigger picture. And that's usually the biggest stumbling block and where, frankly, it goes both ways, where we will kind of end the relationship is if if we feel the big ego thing coming through, that they're not going to be a good fit for us. Well, and you see that in any kind of franchising where people will love what they see with the model. They see all the advantages and they understand that they now are kind of, to a certain extent, giving up a little bit of freedom to have this mm -hmm. uh business in a box and they say all the right things until they write the check. And then next thing you know, they want to run it their own way anyway. And so I have yeah. a feeling if you're in the coaching role, that's one thing that you have to constantly deal with. That's a high maintenance person. Yeah. That's, that's not something <laughs> that I'm going to be eager to, uh, eager to pursue. Um, yeah. And you know, the other thing is on the tail end, you know, I talked about one of, that was one of the things for us, you know, was what are we going to do with this business when we when we grow up and we get older and when Roger my business partner and I were were thinking about Alaire that was certainly one of the things that came across as as a big positive for us was you know this is going to be something that is going to be much more saleable and will have value in the future you know because it doesn't have to be us anybody could come in and obviously if they're a you know a, a builder or modeler they have the skills and know how to to build and and um you know I would say are 
credible contractors, you know, they don't have to come in and say, oh, well, you know, if, if Roger and Dwayne aren't there, then there's nothing left to the business, you know, or, and I think that's the problem with so many small businesses, you know, is that you create something, but you end up creating it between your ears. You know, has anybody, uh, successfully exited an LR after doing this? And if, yeah, and it, absolutely. They have. Yeah. And is that one of the primary motives or is it more about the systems and the freedom? Because I know when we talked in Savannah, my my mindset was I would get into this to help me exit my business with a saleable asset like a franchise. And when we after I get done talking with you, I'm like, that's nah, a totally different model that they're 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 pitching and preaching, uh, which which I loved. So are are you finding that that's the motive for people it, coming in or is it? It really depends. I mean, we've got young folks coming in that are interested in in what we're doing. We've got older folks. We've got teams, large companies, small companies. Um, you know, I would say a lot of times the companies that we are that are a good fit are companies that are probably doing about three million in revenue and up. You know, um, they're they're people that they want to scale in some form or fashion. And what I mean by that is some folks might be looking to scale because they, they want to go from 3 million to 6 million, or they want to go from 5 billion to 10 million. And they want to have some, some controls in place, you know, so that they don't just grow wildly and create a ton of chaos. Um, we've got people that may want to diversify they, they, Hey, I've got a home here. Um, in, in Charlotte, but you know what? I also have a beach home and, and I, there's a huge market down there. So I would love to open up a second location. Um, then we've got people that start thinking about the exit, you know, that, that, that's exactly what they're thinking about. They're like, yeah, this has been my thing for, for years, but, um, I see how difficult it could be to exit, to get out of this. Um, and, and this could be a path for them to do that as well. So it's really, you know, there's no one size fits all. There's a lot of different reasons, but, most of every, the one common theme that you will see with people that I think get attracted to what we're doing is that to at some level, they want more of those. They want more reward. They want more freedom. They want more time, you know, in to themselves that to, to have some options to do other things outside the business. They don't want their business to be all consuming anymore. So one of the things on your bio that caught my attention is, uh, succession planning and exit strategy and making yourself replaceable. And so few entrepreneurs give that a thought until it's almost too late. So tell me how this caught your attention. Hopefully it was in time. And what are some (laughs) of the things that you try to encourage people to think about as their business matures? Yeah, I think that those are the things that you know, first of all, you do have to start to identify what are you going to be or what are you going to do when you grow up? You know, I mean, you personally with your business, you have to start to have a little bit of a vision. Okay, what what is this? Where do I want to be five years, 10 years, you know, down the road? What does that look like? You know, am I involved in the business? Am I um, only working a few days a week? Um, have I sold it? Am I, have I packed it up and I got, am I going to open a microbrewery and I'm done with what, whatever it is, you've like got to have idea. it. Yeah, I like that idea. Of course you do. <laughs> um, you know, if you don't have the vision, it's going to be really hard to get there. And then, and then also by having that vision, you can share that with with your team. You know, if you've got um, any staff, and you you can start to rally uh, people around what this vision is and work towards it. So, I mean, I think that's first and foremost. You've just got to have the vision. Then you can start to back into what are the parts and pieces I need to make this happen. You know. Um, and there's all sorts of different ways of getting there. You know, we're big proponents um, on the podcast and even through a layer with EOS called the Entrepreneurial Operating System. You know, that's something right. that we are big proponents of because it it helps t- folks identify things like the core values, the mission, um, you know, developing goals. They call them rocks. You know, I, I think you've for me, one of the things going through all of this getting involved with Lair, starting the podcast, you know, just collaborating more and more with folks like yourself and business coaches. And I, because I think we're, you know, this, this industry is so revolved around a craft. Um, you know, it's, it's hard. Sometimes we, we put that first instead of the business, you know, and I've heard it said a few different ways, but I mean, basically what it comes down to is you really have to get to that point where you realize I'm a business person first. You know, and I just happen to be in construction or I happen to be in um, real estate, interior design, whatever. You've got to be able to think as a business person first 
And then really just consume all that you can around business, business fundamentals, you know, how, how, things that are going to be healthy for a business. Um, because the, when it's done the other way, it's just a huge struggle and it almost never works. Almost, not almost. It, it, it's 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 hard to get out of your way when you are the great technician back to the E-Myth. And, yeah. um, and I've told people this, it, it wasn't me being the best handyman in my company. It was me uh, being so focused on management as opposed to being the entrepreneur. But you got to have that business focus, that customer focus, because that's going to bring it. And it doesn't matter what business you're in. We just all really think it's really cool because we all fancy ourselves as artists in the home. Because that's why I was asking you early on, because I, uh, you know, did you see yourself going from framer to interior carpenter to master custom woodworker? You know, I have a I have a cabinet guy in my company who is the one of the most exquisite custom cabinet guys I've ever seen. Uh, he happens to really like working here and likes to being able to do different things. And he just does it. But if you ask him what he is, he says, number one, I'm a carpenter. I'm a, carpenter. Not a handyman. I'm a, I'm a carpenter. And, and yeah. so we want to have that artistry, but we also realize that artistry is going to hold us back in our business and allow us to, or not allow us to exit with an asset. And that's the uh, thing yeah. that I think a lot of people, when you said, and this is such a tragedy, when when a great custom home builder just shuts his doors and says, I'm done because I'm old and my, my kids didn't get into it. I'm, I don't have anybody yeah. else to give it to. That's just a tragedy. So that's, that's where I see what you guys are helping. And it's the, it is the norm. I mean, it just is because I have the opportunity to, you know, to work with a lot of different uh, business owners. And, and when you dive into their operations, their books and how they operate and, um, the idea that somebody's going to come along and stroke the big check to buy your business, it doesn't happen in this industry. It just doesn't. It's very rare. And it's, it's, it's a one-off thing. It's not exclusive to the trades or to the building industry. I mean, no, it's not it's, at all. Yeah, it's all entrepreneurs. It is. And so I think it's great that, I mean, the first step is just getting people to just think about it. Think you know, about just it. Just stop yeah. and think about it. And, uh, you know, then then you can start putting together those action steps. We we, we had spend a, a we, had we a spend a lot of team in the while ago about that talking about exit strategy. And you you actually hit on the same point she said is that a lot of people can't see themselves after, so therefore they're afraid to think about the exit, or they'll use the phrase, "Well, I'm going to exit in ten years," um, because ten years isn't going to ever happen. Because ten years is yeah, that's like you know tomorrow never comes that like you get free beer tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Now that's sad too. <laughs> you know, when I buy, I, I suck into that every time, by the way, when I go to the bar, but um, and I, I never get the fucking free beer. Free beer I, tomorrow. <laughs> but, but you talked about that and you said the same thing and, and she focuses on exit planning. And it seems like, again, what, what you provide and what you do is it also makes the the second part, kind of that the, the halftime, your second part of your career, a little bit easier to see yourself as the entrepreneur and not the manager or not the master woodworker. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the big things for me, I would say the thing that that transformed for me internally, personal growth was when I realized that yes, I'm a business owner trying to, you know, trying to put and when I say put business first, that doesn't mean you have to give up quality or give up your relationship. You don't have to do that, but you have to be able to just think as a business person. Um, because you owe it to everybody. You owe it to your team. Um, but there was, for me, you know, I had heard it from a few other coaches and, and some other successful folks, but, and and I realized, wow, I said, that's that's where I want to spend my time um, personally was, you know, it, it should be my responsibility now as a business owner to constantly create opportunities for other people. That's my highest and best use. That's you right. know, because and and Good when point. I do that, and it's been so rewarding to spend time doing that, like to, you know, see some folks in my on my team that um, maybe want to elevate themselves to be, go from you know carpenter up to project manager, or somebody that is in my office that um, I have an office manager, you know, Karina, that has just over the last couple of years done some amazing things and gotten involved being on the board of directors with nary and some other building groups and now she's involved with professional women in building and just but it was just opening the door and giving up an opportunity you know and to me that's if i could do that all the time i'd be tickled to death you know and that that for me that's where i need to be so back to the point of trying to look forward a little bit you've you've got to figure what that out what that is for you everybody's going to be different we call it we had a little exercise, you know, highest and best use. That's exactly what it is. What is your highest and best use? Where should you be focusing your time? Um, 
Because if you're spending your time doing those things that you don't like and you're not good at, you're not helping anybody, not yourself. You're not helping anybody around you. And frankly, you're you're burning time and energy. So um, we're coming towards the end of our time here. And when I want to I ask, so what does a week look like for Dwayne? Um, what, what, what do you, I mean, cause you're not hauling lumber anymore. You're, you're not going up on the roof. Um, I, maybe you're going on vacation. Um, yeah, you know, I, I do get some travel like. now. I don't, um, fortunately I've gotten to the point where I am not, I am still the co-owner of my construction, uh, business in Charlotte with Roger. Roger has moved a little bit more into the, the day to day. He actually really just runs, um, the sales business development side. We've got a great team of folks that are running the business, project managers, carpenters. Um, I sit more like in the visionary seat now. I mean, I just try to help guide the ship a little bit. I try to mentor where I can. I try to create those opportunities, like I said, for other folks. So it might be high-level recruiting stuff. It might be working on some of the bigger picture relationships. But, you know, I'm really not – I'm just not involved in the day-to-day, so it's not consuming my time. Um, I spend, you know – half a day or so a week on a podcast, you know, I, and I, I really enjoy that because I get the opportunity to just interview other builders across the country, remodelers, um, you know, spend time with folks like you. I get to bring on other business coaches, consultants, and it's just the collaboration. We've been blown away by that two years in now on the podcast. And um, Dave, Dave, my co-host will say it a lot. When we started, you know, the intention was we were thinking that we're going to kind of share what we've learned, you know, and we've found that, wow, it, no, we're, we're continuing to learn from every guest we bring on the podcast. You yeah, know? that's a great point. I've had somebody ask me, oh, hey, man, are you making any money on your podcast? I said, well, um, I, I said no. And then <laughs> yeah, I realized I, I picked up a couple of jobs, but I just I got done telling a couple of guys uh, that I've actually learned more on this podcast about how to run my business than I would, you know, and I'm in a mastermind group once a month. And, and so the podcast has actually been good for me. And I, I appreciate Alan coming down and having like you come on and I get to listen to your podcast and, and talk about uh, different things. But that's what I wanted to bring up is that, so you're weak right now. I mean, what is our definition of success? You know, it doesn't have to be the big go fast boat, the the house in the Hamptons. It doesn't have to be the airplane. It, it's that collaboration, that continual learning, that the, the stuff you're talking yeah. about, because never once did you talk about taking a vacation, Alan. <laughs> No, for me, I get to collaborate with great people every day. You know, I get to travel. Like Friday, I'm going to go up to the mountains of North Carolina. I'm going to spend the day with one of, uh, you know, one of the Allaire folks we have up in Blowing Rock and just, you know, help him talk about his business. Funny enough, bit. I'm heading to the mountains uh, this weekend as well. Oh, in look North at Carolina. you two up in the mountains. But the not, rest of us have but, to work. But I'm not collaborating. I'm just going to my well, house. I'll tell you, the, the, the genius thing that Dwayne has mentioned a couple of times, um, and it's not that he's downplayed it, but is the fact that he's focusing on the success of others. And if you, if you, all you do is focus on the success of your team, you ensure your own success. And, yeah, and, and to me, that's the nugget. That's the I nugget. I agree with you. You know, that's, and, that's and, right. and, and by doing that, you know, you're also instilling in every one of those folks you're, you're trying to, to help lead or turning them into leaders and they're going to do the same. You know, and it's the well, one thing then, that we all struggle and with. And that's what time. success looks like for me, especially yeah. when you, when somebody says, what is the favorite thing that happens to you in your company? Is that when I get a review that comes in and says, from the moment I called to the time the estimator came out to the time my scheduler called to the person who completed everything, these guys were top-notch professionals. And I'm like, wow, that's just so cool. That's and, very cool. Yeah. And, and that's all because it had nothing to do with me, everything to do with them and them trying to do their job better. Than they did it yesterday. Yeah, for sure. Well, and that dovetails right into the succession planning and making, you know, yourself replaceable. Yeah, it's time. We talk about it a lot. You know, I mean, time, I think, is the thing that if all of us can can be better with our time, you can't make more of it. You can't have. But but what you do with it, and if, no matter who you are, like I said, from the carpenter, the business owner, project manager in a completely different industry, whatever, if you if you've gotten yourself to the point where you've got more available time to do the things that you want to do that's to me that's success yep i think that's a great point and i think that's a great definition of success and we'll have to end on that huge gold nugget that was good but now doing i've got to ask the three questions we ask everybody and i'm having so much fun with these and i've heard some incredible answers <laughs> and i've been playing these back um to other people but the first question i've got for you is what is your favorite feature of your house 
Favorite feature of my house. I would say the favorite feature of my house is maybe the fact that it's livable. So what's that mean? Well, what I mean by that is it's not, uh, it's certainly not, it's not a big house. It's a one story ranch. Um, It's just, you feel like you just want to live in it. You want to use it. There's nothing about it that you feel like you're going to break or, um, and yeah, that's, I I would say that's the thing. So you don't have a room that your wife won't want you go in? No. You know, it's a very livable. Or a roof that you can't get up on top of? I yeah. definitely kick it up. Yeah, I had to have I had to have one of my guys come out and get the drone off the top of my roof because I was like, <laughs> I'm not going up there anymore, dude. I'm out. Nope. Yep. All right. Number two. When you're out there in the world and you have customer service, because I think uh you brought up that we're all in the business world, but we're also in the customer service world. What is one of your biggest customer service pet peeves? I would say my customer service pet peeve is when somebody reacts, um, whenever, whenever the reaction from that person is you're bothering them, like they're put out by you, they're put out by you asking for help, you know, like, yeah, you bought something, they provided a service to you. You need assistance. (sighs) You know, back in my old corporate days, we called it thinly veiled contempt. It's not thinly veiled anymore. It's just it's, contempt. Right. It's not. You get it now. You just go to a restaurant and try to get a table, and that's what you get. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, that's maybe a good, we maybe that's we a great can. One. Yeah. I don't uh, know. We, well, how I, many? There's I, eight. I, uh. There's eight. All eight. Are, are they all here? Uh, sure. Oh, I only count seven. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> and by the way, we, we had one as much for half uh, half the portion. We had one a few weeks ago that was you know really just makes you sit there and wonder for a moment where that was it we came in and i think there was no i think there was 10 of us but we came in and, and it was like 10 we i think we can we really can't do any more more than than four at a table <laughs> how about we uh put two tables together chaos just threw them into a whirlwind it was disappointing them disrupted the whole thing so uh, yeah that that's my pet peeve darn customers i know it that's a great one it reminds me of a story we uh we were up in michigan just recently and we went to buffalo wild wings and it's the only place that was open it was on um it was on uh, cinco de mayo and we went to the mexican place first at at uh 9 40 and they said sorry we're closed it says you close at 10 no we're closed so we go to buffalo wild wings go in there two tables sat right this, these buffalo wild wings are huge the two people at the front are sitting there and you look over and the tables are all not bust. There's, there's nothing going on. And they say, well, how many? And we said, well, uh, there's five of us. Um, okay. We're going to see if we can sit you. Right, why are you guys closing? No, we, we just got to see if we have an open table. <laughs> You're looking across the <laughs> restaurant and literally there are 25 open tables and two people sitting there. You're like, so I, I finally just asked, I said, um, you're not the manager, are you? Uh, uh, no, sir. I said, no, no offense. I said, why don't you just ask him if we can just have us sit down? Cause we could sit at the bar if you want us to. And they're like, um, well, he's really busy. And I look over and they go over and talk to him. He's one of the guys sitting at one of the, at the, one of the tables that's full. He was there with his buddies just hanging out. Oh my God. So there yeah. you go. Customer service. Yeah, Put customer out. It won't be there the next time you're there. No, I got have a big feeling of that. All right. Number three, give us, and you've been in the business. Give us a DIY or contractor nightmare story. One of the worst I think I've ever seen, and it wasn't really directly related to us, but I remember passing this house probably for over a year and in a, in a really, you know, nice neighborhood in Charlotte. And it was, it was like, what's going on here? This house has been ripped apart, tore apart. The windows are ripped out. I mean, it's just, it's a mess constantly. And there's work going on and then it stops and then there's work going on. And then I get a call one day from the lady that's asking me if we could finish this house. Um, and I, you know, I, I got in, I took the conversation with her and talked and then started to learn a little bit more about it. I called the, um, the architect that had worked on it and he's like, run, run. (laughs) (laughs) And so the more I dug into it and found out, talked to a couple of trades that worked on it and realized that this, this project had had gone so far off the rails um a lot of it was the the client's fault just in the way they were trying to cobble things together but i guess you know long story short is this this house was a complete disaster um probably you know i would say they probably had put close to 
600,000 into it and none of it was worth saving. It all had to just go. Um, and I think she went on another year of cobbling somehow just coercing people to show up to, to, to do a little bit more work. And then at the end of the day, um, I think she threw her hands up, sold it. Somebody came in, knocked the house down and built something new anyway. So just, back to something I've learned on this podcast, uh, Dave Luckberger came on years, uh, episodes ago and said, there is one thing that Dwayne knows, Chris knows, uh, we know how to run a good project. We know how to execute a good project in the house. And if the customer doesn't let you do that, then you will not be successful. And if you don't, if you let them do that, they they will absolutely run you in the ground. And I took that back to my team, and sure enough, we got out of one uh, that would have been a nightmare because I've been in that nightmare situation where they use this line: "Here's passive aggressive to the nine. Well, I'm not the expert here, but why didn't you do the drywall after you did the electrical? Or and they're they're like completely back asswards, you know, and and so. They said our, our trade showed up and the project manager wasn't there and they sent them away. And then it went on because so we had to reschedule everybody. It took us another week to get everybody scheduled back. And then what she do, she sends me an email saying, I don't think your project manager knows what he's doing and this project is taking too long. And so I dig in, find out everything's going on. I'm like, well, if you just let me run the project there, honey, we, we would have it done, right? Just let him do his thing. And yeah. maybe you'd be in your kitchen. But if you yeah. want to keep doing this stuff and calling off our trades when they show up, because that trade's supposed to go for this trade, because you read that at HGTV, time to go, baby. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good nugget right there. I, I think for anybody out there that is a business owner, I, you need to understand how crippling it can be to the rest of your team if you're not doing a good job of making sure you're working for good clients. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I've heard that before. you got to make sure good people are oh. coming in because... It's harder. It's it's easier to get rid of an uh, a customer than it is uh, to keep an employee. You want to keep employees because they make you more money than your customers at the end of the day. Yeah. So you got to put them in position for success. So, no Dwayne, this has been awesome, man. Everything I thought it would be. You, you you were bringing some total value. Loved everything that's going on. How can everybody get a hold of you and find out more about what you do and what's going on with the Builder Nuggets podcast? With everything else you want to push, let's hear it. Yeah, I think the easiest way is go to. BuilderNuggets.com. The website's got all of our episodes on there. It's got some information about myself and uh, Dave, my co-host. Uh, Builder Nuggets, you can find us on Instagram. Dwayne Johns, you can find me on LinkedIn. And uh, you can look up Alaire Homes as well if you're interested in what they're doing. So. Awesome. Alan? Awesome. It was awesome. Thanks again, Dwayne. I really liked it. Look forward to it. And uh, I'll find my way up to Charlotte uh, pretty yeah. soon. Look me I think up, I'm man. Get up. down to Charlotte and we'll... Yeah. Uh, Get together I'm, I'm, and I'm actually working on a uh, <clears throat> a trip. We're not going to call it a vacation, but the uh, Panthers play the Falcons on Thursday night, so we're I think oh, we're heading up to watch it. So Lord, I might yeah. dial you up when we get up there. And there's uh, no lack of breweries in Charlotte. Oh, and I like breweries. Oh, here we go, Dwayne. Thanks again. All right, everybody, the Small Business Safari. Go out there, adventure team. Make it happen. Keep going up that mountaintop. Success, success. Make it happen, and find out what we're all about. Till next time. We're out of here. Bye, Alan. Bye, Chris. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Small Business Safari. Remember to keep that positive attitude, which will reflect in a higher altitude as you're out there making it happen in the wild world of small business ownership. Until next time, go make it a great day, Adventure Team.